Well, hey, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. And we have some permutations on the show tonight because, oh, I can't say what I did on the air, but it's kind of like I got a couple things confused. So we're going to have Leah Chase towards the end of the show, and we're going to have Sheriff Guzman following Jason Williams, who's with us right now. And that's the show order, and we'll get a couple of the folks who we thought we were going to put on this week on next week. Jason is now, let's see, one, two, three, fourth, I think, of my series of interviews with the new council. And I've got to say, I am just so totally thrilled with the new council. I just, you were one of the people on the council that I always found to be the most sort of interested, listening, responding, dealing with stuff. And now I think we have some more. I think you have some company. Would you agree? It's a great group of people. It's a really wonderful group of people. I understand you've met with most of the women so far, so it was ladies first, and you follow up. It was all about the year of the woman and all that, yeah. It still is. It still is. The future is definitely female. It's a good group of folks, a bunch of thoughtful folks, people who have been involved in community action and activism in a lot of different ways, from their neighborhood associations to just whatever their community needs are. And so bringing that voice to government, I think, is always a, it's always positive. Yeah. And I think that you have people who are smart and community-oriented and caring. I just think it's really interesting. But I wanted to start out, you know, this end-of-the-year thing is always kind of a bore where people say, oh, the big stories of last year and the big stories to come, and they repeat through every publication. And I tried not to do that, and that's why I've been doing these individual interviews. However, I do want to hear your perspective on what your first term of office was all about and what were the surprises, what did you find the most challenging, the most interesting, and what have you learned about yourself and how you function? Well, that's a whole lot, Gene. I think one of the biggest surprises for me was what got the most attention and got the biggest audience in the packed house at the council and what did not, right? So when we were having the monuments conversation, when we were having the conversation about short-term rental, it was packed, standing room only, speaker cards for days, longest meetings ever. But when we talked about a young man, juvenile, who lost his life because he was in the adult system rather than the juvenile system, it might have been ten people, ten people in the room. And there's a lot of very important things that happened there in the council, and sometimes I'm surprised at how little people are weighing in on what appears to me to be the most, that will have the biggest effect upon life, on quality of life, on our humanity, as opposed to just our coin and our wallet. 
Right. And um, one of the things that uh, I tried to do um, on this show is to uh, encourage people to stay involved and to hold government accountable because I think we have a tendency in general, but, and maybe even a little more so here in New Orleans, um, that once we've gone to the polls and home, right. and we feel like our duty is done, and we leave it up to the people in public office as to what's going to happen afterwards. And I think that also accounts a little bit for your audience turnout. So those folks who are used to expressing themselves and getting their way show up. Yeah. And those folks who don't feel that their voices are heard on a regular basis don't. That's an so excellent I, point. Right? Excellent and, point. And, I, and right. I spend a lot of time on my show. At the end, I'll have this interview with you, and at the end of the interview, I'm going to say, hey, now listen, everybody, you need to get on the phone with Jason on a regular basis. Talk to him and tell him what you're concerned about. I mean, that's what drives policy. That's what makes the real priorities. I mean, just after you get elected, you still have to have your ear on the ground. Yeah. You have to listen to the city. That I mean, leadership is not making decisions. Leadership is being the funnel for people's decisions. You ask me, um, what did I learn about myself? As a young person, I really wanted to be liked by everybody. I wanted I wanted people to like me. I thought that was the most important thing, and that is sort of a very American concept. People will. We'll, we'll try to couch things and say things in a nice way. But like if you're in Russia, they'll say, that's a stupid idea. But, you know, but they're telling you the truth. They think you they think or honesty. if you're a Yankee, we think that's not such a good exactly idea. Exactly right. <laughs> I'm used to saying what I think. And, of course, that gets me in trouble here a lot. But I tell you, at the end of the day, you know, being liked is not the most important thing. It's more important to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, you, you can find yourself with people sending you hate mail or nasty emails because you're standing up for people who don't have access and don't have a voice. And so at the end of the day, I, I did learn that, you know, that the goal is to not be liked by everybody you come in contact with. It's just to, mm -hmm. to, to have the right compass that will allow you to sleep at night and when you talk to God, uh, have things add up. So of all the things that you worked on, um, what do you consider to be uh, uh, kind of on the top list of important things that had an impact in the city, and, and how would you describe your Well, uh, I think criminal justice reform was a major uh, issue and sea change uh, in our town, uh, in New Orleans, and at the, uh, on the state level as well. Um, we are finally making decisions uh, to get the consequence that we want. Not this idea of tough on crime and lock people up and throw them away, having the poorest people arrested and poorest people sitting in jail because they can't afford to bond out. But we really started looking at it from a holistic perspective, decriminalizing marijuana, coming up with municipal uh, bail ordinance, some things that have uh, have sort of right-sized the number of people that are housed, that sort of reduce the number of people that are having bad interactions with the police department. And I think that is yielding real dividends in terms of the, the, the what we're getting from people, what we're getting from young people. So really excited about that. Of course, as a utilities chair, I'm very excited that we kept our rates low. 
Uh, and then from a transparency piece, you know, just listening to the people of the city when that water rose uh, in this area and, and on Broad Street and in Lakeview when they were saying the pumps weren't working, um, you know, being able to stand with the people, call a spade a spade, get the truth out when we weren't getting the truth. I felt like that was it was a low point for us as citizens, but I think it was a high point in terms of really having some honest conversation that had been ignored for probably a couple of decades in terms of what was really going on behind the scenes. Well, you know, and, and that was one of the issues that, of course, dominated the um, election uh, and was talked about at the forums and, and – um, you know, as you said, the Sewage and Water Board has been an issue for as long as I've lived here, and that's 40-some years, I hate to admit it. Um, but uh, I, I, I can't say that um, I still really have a very clear feeling about how it's functioning, how it's not functioning, and what really is going to be the, um, the way to get us um, to a new place. So coming up in the next term... Um, what's your what's your scenario for um, your prognosis for how you're going to figure out how to straighten that out? You said prognosis. That's an excellent word. I think we still are at a process where we are trying to get the exact diagnosis for where we are. And, and what I'm talking about is not just the pipes and turbines, but what is the proper governance going forward Management process. Right, for, for our next 40 years so that we don't mm -hmm. find ourselves in a situation again. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, and, and whether or not DPW belongs where it is, whether or not the leadership of Sewage and Water Board belongs away from City Hall, mm -hmm. all these things are things that need to be at the table. Who belongs on the board? So some folks thought before I was on the City Council that council members shouldn't be on the board, and they thought some other people should. We haven't, we haven't gotten that right, and it's not just two possibilities. There are a number of possibilities, mm -hmm. and we need to be examining all of those to make sure that we can get results and get real accountability. When somebody says uh, X number of, of, of drainage catch basins have been cleared, we need to be able to trust that information. We need to have a real-time dashboard that any private citizen can hop on and see what our current status is. We need SCADA uh, so that so – that uh, folks can look in an office and see what's online and what's not online. Uh, and we also need to think outside of the box in terms of not just trying to flush water out of the system as fast as possible, but giving water a place to be, meaning dig some some water retention ponds yeah. in town water and biosphere. Water, real water <clears throat> management, right. Uh, Jason, what do you care about most in your job? What, what, uh, what have you cared about over the past four years, and again, how has your thinking evolved? And four years to come, what what are you hoping to accomplish in those four years? I hope that we can, um, at the, at, in the next four years, make sure. By the way, you don't mind me calling you by your first name. No, I, hope, I, I want you to. <laughs> okay. Anytime somebody calls right. me counselor, I actually encourage uh, them to call me Jason. Okay. I hope in the next four years we can make sure that everybody, every native in this city has a place to live that is healthy, that is safe. And, and that, that speaks to affordable housing, that speaks to low-income housing, and that speaks to the, the middle class, you know. Um, we're in a crisis right now. Uh, a few years ago, I remember a very big vote when the council decided to take down the big four housing projects. Now, 
wherever wherever you fe- wherever you fell on that decision, I fell you, against it. You can't remove that many housing units unless you have a plan to replace that many housing units, regardless of the condition they're yep. in. And so now we find ourselves in a situation where people are have to live in areas where they are away from the schools, away from quality grocery, away from vital arteries. When the special thing about New Orleans was no matter what you, how much money you made when those big four were there, you were walking distance to everything you needed for a good quality of life. That doesn't exist anymore, and we've got to fix that very, very quickly for folks who are making very little money and for teachers. And, and the failure to bring the Ninth Ward back is a big part of that because even though that's a little further down the road, it was still a place that you could come in. And, and I would say probably, I don't know what the stats are exactly, but a large percentage of the people who lived down there were people who were working in the service industry in the French Quarter. And that's the absolutely right. I mean, you, you people talk about our food. They talk about the, the celebrity chefs. Well, I tell you, a celebrity chef would be nothing without the folks that are working in those kitchens. That's absolutely right. And, and those, the those folks can't, the they can't, they're not on Iberville anymore. They're not at Uptown anymore. They're on the outskirts, and they're catching public transportation to get to work. Yeah, and then and add to that, as I said, you know, the, the existing, I don't really understand what's going on on the Ninth Ward. I just don't get it. I don't understand why it's still vacant, uh, largely vacant land. And then add to that, really, the, um, the whole policies uh, uh, towards, uh, you know, whether you got paid for your house or not and you were incentivized to sell your house, not to repair it because you got better money on the dollar. Right. And um, that's never really been ameliorated in any kind of significant way. Add to that the short-term rentals and, um, and, and, and gentrification, quite frankly. I mean, I love all the artists who have moved to town, but I certainly don't like to see them displacing um, people who've lived in neighborhoods for hundreds of years, and tax policy. Now, let's talk about that tax policy. So this is one of my pet peeves. Okay. If you live in a house <clears throat> and your, rent, your taxes were $1,200 a year, and suddenly they are $2,000 a year because the values of the property in the area have gone up and you get forced out, what do you think about that? And what can you do about that? Well, it's a huge problem. Uh, I know that um, I'm sure you're going to have um, – Jay Banks, uh, one of my new colleagues um, mm-hmm. on the show, and, we, and Jay and I talk about that quite a bit uh-huh. because there's nothing wrong with new people and new money coming into your town as long as it is not disruptive to the people that are already there exactly. and, and trying to live there. And we've got to figure out a way uh, so that, you know, one, uh, so that the two don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, we're not trying to put up a wall and stop people from coming to the city of New Orleans, but we've got to make sure that we have systems in place to, to help people maintain the life that they've made for themselves already. You, you can't tell someone who is in their 70s who has had their tax bill be one way for the past two decades that it's going to double. So can't we grandfather people in in some way? That's one of the options we've been talking about. Um, New York has addressed this thing. Nobody's gotten it right yet, but that means we've got we've to dig real deep, and we've got to think very creatively um, over the next uh, few months and next few years to make sure that we can put some things in place, whether, whether it's grandfathering people in, whether it's locking in a rate based upon how many years you've been in a home and your age, whatever those criteria are, we've got to figure out a way to, to, 
to protect those folks. So I was on what you want to accomplish and, and what your key issues are. So housing, what else? Well, it's public safety, right? Mm -hmm. sure. uh, uh, one of my biggest fears, because we've had such robust uh, criminal justice reform, we've got, a, we've got a governor who is a partner on criminal justice reform, who understands that having the biggest uh, population of folks in jail doesn't make you have the safest streets, right? So I don't, I, we've got to make sure that we also are addressing public safety generally, meaning reducing incidences of violent crime, rape, murder, armed robbery, making sure that our police department, uh, regardless of whether or not we're in a consent decree or not, is it has a real success rate. And how are we defining success? You know, uh, just making a number of arrests and having a clearance rate isn't a isn't a always a positive thing if it's a low level offenses and we're missing uh, those crimes against people. You can have a, a, a prosecutor with a high uh, uh, high trial volume, winning a lot of cases, but if those cases are on low level drug addicts, but you're, we're not going to trial a murder, rape, and armed robbery, we're not improving our public safety measures. So I think we need to redefine what success is in the public safety realm. And I think everybody uh, has to be focused on that. You know, I have a special place in my heart, of course, for the arts, and uh, not just the arts, but the creative industries in general. And I'm still trying to figure out how to talk with the business and the civic and the political community about creative industries, because we ain't there yet. And um, internationally, there's a lot of countries, there's a lot of states, there's a lot of cities that are really pursuing the creative industries as a, a, a key leading form of economic development. We're, we just haven't quite figured out, I haven't figured out how to convince what I sometimes call the boys club. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you what, I'm working with some folks uh, to really talk about the economy of the arts. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, obviously I'm not, a, I'm not a, a fan at all of the Trump administration, but there are a couple of things that are happening in terms of workforce development. And if we right, can, the Create LA legislation. Right, I would like to bring that to a city like ours. Tell, and, and, tell the audience a little and, bit about and, that because I haven't happen. talked about that on this show yet. Well, it, it's it's we, you talk about creating jobs, you talk about putting people to work. This speaks to putting artists to work and having them. Be, creators of all types, especially all, in the city of New Orleans. Absolutely, I mean, we are so creative. The most creative city in the world, the most creative absolutely. population in the world, and people are doing it for very little. Right, so if we can figure out a way to monetize that, systematize it, so that they can actually earn a living, if not more, uh, and I think there's some systems in place that we can use on a national level to make that happen. The other part is, when we do public safety right, we can spend less money in the criminal justice system, which will allow us to invest in the arts. Because right now, or how about vice versa? How about if you invested in the creative pursuits of our young people and I've taught in the schools in, in teaching kids about their creative career opportunities and I've been astounded at the high percentage of students in our system who have some kind of creative uh, talent or discipline. How about investing in that, in them, as a way of keeping people off the, Look, you, you off, off the streets I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that hook, line, and sinker, but that old boys club you talked about is going to fight against that. There's going to be fear-mongering against it unless we can do both at the same time, which is get public safety right and also 
it allows us to save money that we're spending there and then reinvest in music and art and the cultural economy. And really, I mean, think about the Mardi Gras Indians. I mean, they're on every billboard, every poster selling the city of New Orleans. But nobody's, nobody's donating feathers. Nobody's donating time. Nobody's donating sewing. I mean, Glenn, Glenn Jones is working on a, on a program right now where uh, where there where there where there'd be a, a real fundraiser to raise money to help offset those costs that our cultural bearers are bearing for the entire city of New Orleans. This is at the heart of the issue for me. And um, again, as as you said, and and we know this. I don't have the stats on it, um, but I I'm I'm very convinced that in fact um, the percentage of our youth who are creative, not to mention adults, of course, is huge as compared with other cities. I once did a little survey in Treme, door to door. I knocked on 100 doors with uh, some kids from Tulane, and out of those 100 doors, how many do you think had somebody in that household who was a creative artist or producer of some kind? In the Treme, I think it would be somewhere between 90% and 100 because you can't avoid it. It was over 50%. You can't avoid it. I know. It was really something. Um, we're going to be out of time in a minute because I've got a lot to, going on, but let me just ask you again, uh, for the next four years, what's on the top of your list? What do you care about most? What top, are you going to do? Top of my list has got to be to keep the foot on the gas when it comes to criminal justice reform and public safety with a commitment and an, and an undivided focus on making sure that we get housing right for New Orleanians, right? Not, not tourists, for New Orleanians. Um, and, and if we do those things right, then we can redirect public dollars to things that are important, like parks and recreation, NORD, and our cultural arts community. The only thing I'm going to say to you, because I can't resist the opportunity, you're here sitting in, in, you know, three feet away from me, we need to find some other revenue source to feed into the cultural arena to help us market and operate our programs and teach our kids and get them engaged. And I don't think that can wait on getting the criminal justice system right. right. You're absolutely right. Thank it's, you. not, it's, not a, it's not an either or. It's at the same time. Okay. I'm getting the signal from uh, I'm taking from the Jazz. sheriff's time. He's my boss over there. I'm you taking, understand, right? I'm taking the sheriff's time. He's got a lot more power than me, so I'm going to get out of the way. Um, Jason, thank you so much for coming. It's a pleasure. Look forward pleasure. to seeing you on the council. How are you, sir? You teach those new guys well, right? The new gals and guys. That's right. It's, it's an old guy. You know, he, he knows more about the council than I do. No, I'm talking. Okay, right. Yeah, it's true. Oh, yeah. He sure <laughs> was. When I was there, we no, were there no, together. No, no. <laughs> Take care. Y'all be Bye, good. Jason. Marlon. Hey, Gene. I can't believe. Do you know that I've been doing this show now for um, it's going to be three years in April, and is this my first time having you in here, I'm right? Crushed. I'm, I should have been on here a lot sooner. No, I know you've been, you've been, I'm sure, on Oliver's show uh, three ways mm -hmm. from Sunday, but uh, this is my first time. You know, I have to be honest with you. One of the reasons is that I have a tendency to want to block out the whole issue of crime because my feeling is that crime is symptomatic. It is not causal, and I strictly want to deal with education, I want to deal with um, family situations, I want to deal with mental health, I want to deal with, you know, every all the things that contribute to a kid losing his way. I once did, and I, I think I've said this on the air before, I don't know, but I once did an interview 
for a week with a group of guys who were in Milne Boys' home. And I came away from it absolutely convinced that what had happened to these young men is that they had a bad experience in school for some reason, one way or another, not to mention family situations, of course, and they fell off the track. And then they wound up in a place that so quickly uh, envelops them, right? So I, I don't watch... I can't watch the local news anymore because all it is is rip and read, crime and accidents. I want to know why on the weekend I have to watch about some accident in Thibodeau. When I used to do the weekend news, I used to cover feature stories, and I would come and have you on and talk about things that were not topical and the most recent thing. So that's why I don't focus on it. However, you are focused on it, and you have a community meeting coming up, and I want to start so that I don't forget to get that in with what the meeting is about and why you're having it and make sure people know about it so they will come out. So we are having a community meeting to update uh, the community on the progress that we're making uh, at the jail. And, you know, the jail is probably the most visible part to a lot of people of the criminal justice system. But, you know, the criminal justice system is a multifaceted issue. And just like you said, uh, I think you, you said it very articulately, that that it's more than just catching a criminal. It's more than just talking about uh, what laws they broke. Um, it really is about how people uh, interact from the day they're born to, to when they pass on. And I really think that as a, as a society, as a city, a community, we ought to strive for having uh, the best outcomes. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't always happen that way. And as much work as anybody can do, uh, we're going to have to deal with some bad outcomes. And, uh, but our goal ought to always be to try to have the best education possible, to try to have the best mental health services possible, to try to have the best vocational uh, opportunities possible and to be able to help someone who's made a mistake come back in. And, you know, Gene, one of the things that I've been working on, you know, for the last uh, 14 years is improving uh, the quality of life for those that have made mistakes. And, you know, I know people talk about, uh, at least some people talk about, you know, what goes wrong, but a lot has gone right. And that's what we want to update the public on tomorrow, mm -hmm. Dillard mm -hmm. University. A lot has gone right. You know, when when I was elected in 04, uh, right before Katrina, uh, we had over 6,000 inmates uh, being housed. Some would say being warehoused. Uh, now our population is uh, under uh, 1,500. Uh, sometimes it gets a little bit up to 1,600. Yeah, but more importantly, they're housed in humane facilities. They're housed in facilities where uh, we have a recreation yard on every housing unit, uh, where we have uh, a washer and dryer on every housing unit, uh, where we have uh, programming, where we have uh, the ability for people to, uh, to be treated with respect. And we're not in cages, you know, not in in uh, temporary facilities that that we used to have. So, it's uh, it's dealing with the initial problem, 
what happens, you know, like you said, at the, the young age when they're uh, in their formative years, but you also have to deal with it in the middle, and you also have to deal with it at the end after someone makes some mistakes mm -hmm. and, and they're re-entering our society. Mm -hmm. Our re-entry program was just uh, something that, that I'm, I'm so proud of. You know, we were able to help a lot of people adjust and one of the things that really keeps me going is to see people in the street and they say, oh, I was in class uh, 20 or you know, 25. And, and I say, well, that's great. The main thing is they're still out. And they're still out. They haven't gone back to jail. And their families have been able to connect back with them you know, at our family nights, um, at the counseling sessions we held. Because it wasn't just about that person. You know, there's an old saying that's really true that when one family member goes to jail, pretty much the whole family Falls goes apart. to jail. And they go to jail, too, because they have to support, uh, in a lot of ways, that person who's in jail, either with phone calls or visits, uh, coming there and, and seeing them, uh, giving their money on their account, paying for the phone calls that they have. So it's, uh, it's about talking and, and dealing with everybody. You know, um, I, I, I have so much I want to ask you. <laughs> we, you know, you're always more limited in, the, in these times because we haven't talked in so long. But um, I always knew you were a man of, of, of nerves of steel. <laughs> but it certainly took a man with nerves of steel to cope with how difficult an era that you have had to um, work through as sheriff. And um, I, I want to ask you, um, through these years, and I, I kind of question that it was a lot less um, hot, and that is, um, what did you learn that was as most important in ha that has reshaped how you think about the world and how you do things, and what did you learn about yourself in this process? Well, I think I think I came through a lot. I agree with you. Katrina was something that uh, was was very. <laughs> Uh, difficult for uh, our community. Uh, it was difficult uh, for a lot of people, including me personally. And uh, you know, I, I I really reached the understanding that you can't change things all at once. That you have to have the, the stamina to be able to say, "This is where I want to go." And even when people are uh, attacking you. You have to stay the course. You know, look, we could have rebuilt the facilities that we had and made them look just the same. I don't think anyone thinks that the facility that we rebuilt is the same. It's not. It, it's you know we we had facilities that had one recreation yard for the entire facility. Now we have 24 recreation yards. Uh, we had facilities where. Uh, if you wanted to wash something, you have to wash it in a face bowl or, or in a toilet. Uh, now we have washers and dryers, uh, a centralized communication system. Uh, so it's a lot better, not just for the people that are incarcerated, but also for the people that work there, also for the people that visit there. Uh, so what did I learn? You know, I just learned that you you can't listen to the loud voices uh, you have to really listen to the people, and they're really what guides me. 
So in the meantime, you have had the, uh, and I don't know how to express that, I don't have the right terminology for this, but you, you've had these arrangements with, is it the federal government that came in? Uh, or, or what, what um, uh, where you had your um, folks that have come in to work with you on the management of the jails, explain that to me. And whereas that might have seemed to you in the beginning to be a downside and a negative, I'll bet there's been some advantageous aspects to that. Well, well surely. So the, uh, the fundamental issue, and you talked about it with Councilmember uh, Williams, the fundamental issue is funding. And, you know, when we had uh, over 6,000 inmates incarcerated, uh, most of the money to run that facility, facilities, came from the state because more than half of the inmates were state inmates. So after Katrina, when we had zero inmates in total, and uh, then later on when we had more city inmates than state inmates, then the funding really became an issue. Oh, and that's so interesting. I didn't understand that at all. And mm -hmm. without, the, without the proper funding, mm -hmm. uh, you really couldn't do things that you know, really needed to be done. Uh, we kept moving forward with construction and demolition of outdated facilities, mm -hmm. but still the funding was critical. So we, we had really reached an impasse uh, with this administration, and uh, the clear advantage in having uh, you know, the federal government involved was to be able to get the funding that was needed. And, and possibly also to get um, a third party, in a sense, bolstering your case for what was really going on and what you needed. Is that fair to say? I, I think that's really fair to say that, that look, I said all along. Because otherwise it was a he said, he said. Right, I, I said all along that uh, we had to have good people to work with and that we were losing a lot of people because they were getting lured away by higher salaries crazy to, to, to say this, but true, that when I was elected, the starting pay for uh, recruit was $6.58 an hour. You're kidding me. Uh, I was crazy to say that, but it's true. <laughs> uh, I raised it uh, post-Katrina to $9.63. Uh, in all of the legal fighting uh, with this administration, we got it up to $12, and now uh, proud to say that <coughs> we just uh, were able to get a $2,000 uh, a year pay raise uh, starting in January and another 1500 that will start in June uh, for the deputies and, and uh, hopes that we'll have I another 3500 I still can't believe it's that low. That's just phenomenal. I had no idea. Right. And, and, and look, you're talking about people who have to work. 12-hour shifts. It's stressful. 12-hour shifts. Dangerous. With, with the uh, element of our society that is uh, the most dangerous, the most volatile, difficult. the most difficult. Uh, and uh, You really have to have some serious people skills in addition to knowing how to handle security. You, you have to really, uh, look, my hat's off to them because they really have to be able to cope. And 
and uh, and to do their job at the same I'd time. I'd like you to, to bring in uh, some deputies at another time uh, for my show to talk about their real life experiences. Um, I, I would love to do that. And, yeah. And, and I think that's important for people to hear that that they, you know, they're just like everybody else in this community. They're your neighbors. They they live and go to the same churches, and and yet sometimes you're not going to see them because we don't close on New Year's Day. We don't close on Christmas Day. We don't close on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. We're always there, always mm-hmm. working and uh, doing our part to keep this community safe. Any regrets? Are you happy? Th- are you glad that you chose to be sheriff, or was this kind of really? It, it's like, you know, I, I told people, I, I, I tried to explain to people who didn't live here through the, the years after Katrina what it was like. There's no way to explain the stress level and all the people that actually we lost and are still losing because of the burden, uh, emotional, physical, and financial, all of the burdens. It, it's been a very difficult assignment. Well, Jean, I second guess, at least in my own mind, some decisions that I made. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I reached the conclusion, and again in my own mind, that uh, the direction we took, uh, the challenges that we under, undertook uh, were the right thing to do. And it was the right thing for this community, and it was the right thing for uh me. It has to be the ultimate uh, basis on which you judge what you've done and what you will do. The next few years, we have a new council, we have a new mayor. Um, I'm impressed with the council, I really am. And I don't know Latoya that well, but certainly her experience, especially in, in Broadmoor, points to somebody who wants to get things done for people and, um, and not for her own political ambitions. I hope that's true. Um, how, what do you see, how, what are your priorities for these coming years? And don't forget to cap what we're talking about with um, reminding everybody about your community meeting and when and where that is, because I do want people to hear directly from you in that, in you know, face-to-face. Well, I, I think that, and I think, I, I know from personal experience that uh, Mayor-elect Cantrell has a lot of passion, and I think she... Uh, has a great vision for the city. I'm excited uh, to see her uh, moving along with the transition. Uh, I've pledged my support to her, and I think that this is a great opportunity for us to move forward. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, you kind of wipe that slate clean and let's start all over and let's see what her priorities are, what what her passion is, and how. She's going to bring this community together uh, so that we can be even better and a better community. You know, what, what I want people to, to focus on is that, yes, criminal justice is important, but criminal justice, you know, as Councilmember Jason Williams was saying, is multifaceted. You know, it's about the courts. It's about the public defender. It's about the district attorney's office. It's about the police department. Uh, it's about the sheriff's office. And it's about the rest of us. And it's about the citizens. All, and it's about all of us. When we all work together, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm really excited because I think 
this is an opportunity where we can really have everybody working together. Uh, when the people work together, uh, we have great results. Dillard University, 6 o'clock uh, in the, uh, uh, the auditorium. There. On the 11th? On the 11th. So tomorrow. that's tomorrow. 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 So Thursday night, everybody, 6 p.m. at Dillard. This is your chance to talk face-to-face, to hear from, to question, to dialogue with our sheriff. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much for being here. And next time I'm going to want to talk to you a little bit more about mental health. Sure. And and, uh, and and the issues around that, because I'm very convinced that that's a very big part of things. We <coughs> are now, hold on one second. We are now going to um, go into the second part of the interview I did with Leah Chase um, in advance of her 95th birthday. And I cannot tell you how floored I was by how clear the memory, the sensitivities, the, the breadth of her interests and her engagement. I was blown away by the interview, and um, I think you'll enjoy part two, especially for those of you who heard part one. And by the way, I've got my podcast is coming up online very soon, and then I will have all of these interviews, including with the sheriff, available um, easily to, for you to listen to and, and whenever you want to. Um, thank you, and uh, here comes Leah. Um, treat number two, part two of the interview with Leah uh, Chase that I recorded last week in anticipation of her 95th birthday. So enjoy part two. You know, I once came here with a, uh, a man from Africa, and um, he had your gumbo. Mm-hmm. And I forget what he called it, but he talked about how much your gumbo resembled a dish that he had back in his country. And I'm sorry, I don't remember. I know it was Western Africa. That's all I could tell you. But I thought that was so interesting. Again, back to the roots of our our cuisine here. And it's so complicated. It's Spanish, it's French, it's It's African, it's Caribbean. That's what's interesting about New Orleans. Now, you you go to Commander's Palace, for instance. They're Creole, okay? So they're going to give you, like, shrimp Newburgh and things like that in a cream sauce. Their Creole is a mixture of Spanish and French, a whole lot of French in that cooking. You come to me, and I said, I'm going to give you Creole. Might have some Spanish, might have some French, but a whole lot of African. It's just a mixture of things. A lot of our food that I served here came by way of the islands. The slaves came here by the way of the islands, Haiti, Jamaica and all those things. We doubled our population mm-hmm. after the Haitian Revolution is mm-hmm. what I've heard. So that's what that's where we get all that food from. Like every year I make a gumbo zerb, what we call it. It's ground I, I think it was gumbo zerb that he was commenting yes. on. Yeah. Because in his country, in the islands, or in Kenya, they make what they call kalaloo. Now, callaloo is a green that grows around there, but if they don't have that callaloo, they use spinach, but they put okra in it. So oh, you can make that another right, flavor. Right. So it's a, it's a similar food. And our jambalaya is nothing but African jollof rice. That's all it is. What's that? The, uh, in Africa, what we call jambalaya here, it's called jollof rice over there. Huh. So you see... Yeah. It comes down and you add 
the product you work with here. Just like gumbo in Africa, they use okra. You get it in New Orleans where we have a lot of Indians here. So in their thing was filet, ground sassafras, right, because right. that's what they had. Mm -hmm. So we used the ground sassafras and put it in there. Hmm. It is interesting to see how food comes about. Now, just like in the so-called Chinese restaurants here, we have very few of them that are authentic Chinese. A lot of them are mixed with what? African. Because when we had to build the great railroads here, who we got? We got the Chinese who built the great walls in China. They came to show Americans how to build this railroad. Mm. Came with no wives, just the men. And well, you know, Europeans, we are what we are. So they had to join forces with the slaves. So where we got the food, we, we mix their food with what we know, and here we have this Chinese food that's a whole lot of African. So Yakamane, <laughs> what's the story on Yakamane? I don't know what's the story on that because that's not Chinese. That's a mystery, huh? That's a mystery. Okay. That's a mystery what Chinese is. I guess it's just something that you do in a hurry and you do it well, like all Creoles, no matter what they do. How sim if they make you what we call the potato stew, potato stew was just potatoes cooked in a tomato gravy. They took great pains with that, put a lot of onions, parsley, garlic in it, served it over rice. The Ch here comes the Italians, all in our community, Italians on every corner. So we learned from them. One thing I remember that Italians did was pasta consorti. Now that's pasta with a sardine sauce they would make. So you know what the Creoles did? They buy them a can of sardines, put the sardines in the tomato gravy, and serve it over rice. Whoa, <laughs> interesting, yeah. So you see, you take a little bit from here, put there, there you got it. <laughs> we Creolize everybody's food. <laughs> so when you speak of the Italian food here, which uh, I, I love Italian food, I'm, I'm from the Bronx. And we had lots of Italian restaurants there, and, and that was part of my coming up. But um, I was shocked when I first came to New Orleans, and I, and I saw him on the menu, I think he was at Maley's, wop salad. Oh. I just, my jaw dropped. I said, what? And I said, well, well clearly they don't think of wop the same way that we think of wop. Because it's, it's a derogatory term. It is a derogatory It's like the N-word. Yeah, so what we knew. So Rudy Lombard, if he were here today, he laughs about that. He said, Leah, you got me in trouble. I went to New York and I asked for a wop salad, and they got angry with me. Yeah. I, said, well, I don't know. They just told me this was just a great Italian salad. And I guess it's a down-home Italian thing, but it is so good. It is. It is so good. Italian with salad is great. It is so good. My husband but, loves it. But what we knew, we didn't know anything. We just served it. We did what we heard everybody else say. So now we learn, no, it's an Italian salad. Yeah. yeah. So you learn as you go. Right. So, so, so basically people, we take those foods, those cultures, and that's what I like about what's happening in our city today. We have many ethnic restaurants. We have all kinds of, so you go and you eat this one's food and you say, well, 
I'll go home and I'll put this in my food. I'll do that. You just do it. And it's fun. And I'll never forget how the Thurmans caused me to write that first cookbook I wrote. Because I said, when a man came to me, Dr. Calhoun from Pelican, he said, I want you to do a cookbook. I said, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. He said, I'm going to give you time. Just think about it. Okay. He gave me time. I just thought, and I just sat down. And you know, I wrote that whole cookbook by hand. <laughs> so I know it. You did it the way you could, and that made yeah, it easy for you to communicate what was in your mind. What was in my mind, I yeah. just wrote it down. Yeah. And when it got to the publishers, of course, they had to correct, put the comments where it belonged, put this where it belonged. But basically, you got what I'm talking about in this thing. And it was Dr. Howard Thurman that taught me that. Just be quiet sometimes. You know, just sit down and take some time and think and see where you're going. And that's what the young people are not doing today. Well, we're, we're going to encourage them with this interview. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep pumping. I keep pumping and talking to them. I'm not going to ever give up. You keep preaching, you become a preacher. <laughs> They're out there in your restaurant, too. Is that when I came in just now to uh, talk with you, uh -huh. um, I would say most of the tables were filled with younger people. They're filled with younger people, and, mm -hmm. and they're doing well. A lot of them, I met a young man out there. He teaches at Duke University. Now, that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. you be, you're able to teach, and a lot of these young people are doing marvelous things. Jean, I met a young woman that blew me away. She was African-American. She came in here to talk to me one day. And I said, well, what do you do, honey? She said, I am a retired Air Force pilot. Jean, I like to that book. I said, you know what? I'm a retired Air Force pilot. I knew how hard it was to get the, the, uh, the she was a retired Navy pilot. And I knew how hard it was to get the Navy integrated. That was the last branch of service to get integrated. Oh, really? Yeah, it was. And Lester that. Granger, who used to be the national leader of the Urban League back in the day, that was his request of Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt, Lester told me this story. He said Franklin wanted to give him a job, a cabinet job. And you had to know Lester. Lester said, I didn't want that because people with this, that, and other. I didn't want that. All I asked him to do for me was integrate that Navy. Well, Roosevelt died. So Truman came along, and that's when they integrated the Navy. For, but for this young woman to tell me she was a Navy pilot, she said, I have flown everything there is to fly. I have flown bombers. I have flown everything. Oh, I said, well, darling, you ready for the space program? She said, but Miss Chase, I'm too old. She was 62 yeah. years old. Yeah. She said, now nah, all I can teach is younger people what to do. I said, because you would, you would be fit for the, for the space program. And that's a program that I think we're not paying enough attention to. And we should pay a lot of attention to that space program because that is our future. But we're not doing that. It's going to come back. That's it's inevitable. You know, we have to do it. And another thing I live with, you know, the man just retired after Trump got in office. 
with uh, Colonel Bolden, the black man. He had he headed NASA. Now Colonel Bolden came here and spoke at one of my one of the breakfasts they had, a military breakfast. We used to have that on our own forces day. All the military, we'd have a military breakfast. Colonel Bolden, I met him and I have a picture of he and my son and somebody else. But he became the head of NASA. Now I just thought God, I met this man. Now he's running the whole space program. Really? And did you did you see the movie yet about the uh, African American women who were um, no, in the I space didn't program? See that movie, but they told me I must see that. You have to see it, and it's it's on. Um, you can see it on Netflix. It's it's amazing. Um, Leah, uh, I, I could go on, for, and, and you could go on very clearly for another hour. And um, I feel like I want to come back and do a little more with you at another time. Okay. Um, uh, I, I'm happy to be here on the occasion of your birthday. Is this your actual birthday on Saturday? Saturday is my actual birthday. So you're a Capricorn. Capricorn. And uh, that explains a little bit, too, about your continued success in your later Capricorn years. Capricorn, the pushes, the movies. Just make it happen. Just make it happen. Thank you so much. It's been, a, this is, I think, the third time I've interviewed you over the years, and every time I've done it, I've learned something new, and I've loved it, and um, I just look forward to more. Thank you so much, Judy. I appreciate all the work you did and all the work you're still doing. I'm grateful to you for that. Well, back, news back media, at you. The, the news media, I don't think they realize how powerful that is to get whatever's out here. You get it out. Now, we take what we need, and we listen. And if we agree, we agree. If we don't, we don't. But you got to get it out here. You got to tell people what's happening, and that's important to me. That is so important. And we're in an age when there are people who, if they don't like what you're talking about, they want to uh, throw words at you like fake news. We know somebody up there in a big house who's mm -hmm. been doing that lately, and he's threatening to, um, you know, it's uh, it's sad because um, the news people really take their obligation to uh, work towards the truth very very seriously, and, uh, and to impugn that is a shame. It's a shame. What would we do without the news? What would we do? We wouldn't know where things are. We wouldn't know anything if the news people wouldn't tell it to us. Their job is to get out here and get it and find it and tell it to us. Right or wrong, if they they. See something we don't like? Well, that's our problem. You take what you like, but you got to get it out here. Yeah. You have to get it out here. And that, to me, is an important job. That is very important, and I respect the news media. I really do. We take it seriously. Yes. Thank you so, so much. Well, thank um, you, Just person to person, it's been a pleasure, and um, happy, happy birthday. Well, thank you so much. And we'll continue this. We'll do some more. We'll do some more. Some I'll be back more. in my kitchen before they fire me. <laughs> we'll be known to fire old people in many. <laughs> I don't think so. You're getting too old. Uh. You're getting too old. You can't do this. You can't do that. <laughs> this is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations coming to an end on WBOK, and I will visit with you again next week.